Guys, we are in John chapter 21 of 21 today. So we have been working our way through the gospel of John. We finish it today. And I went back on my preaching calendar because I wanted to see exactly how long it's been. And it's been a real long time. That's what I figured out. We've worked our way through John. It has been a minute. And today we are wrapping it up. And the truth is, and looking over those notes has been clear to me. We've only covered actually a small fraction of John, but we walked through it and we could walk through it another time in a few years and not repeat a single thing, but it has been uh, a journey. We wrap it up today. And if you've been around, you know, um, we spent several weeks, uh, months even in um, this one scene, the Last Supper, where Jesus spends five chapters giving some of his most incredible teachings. And then um, since then, the pace has really picked up. So there was the Last Supper and that drew out, but then there was the betrayal and the arrest and the denial and the crucifixion and the resurrection, which we celebrated last week. And while these events have been unfolding, now sort of in rapid-fire succession, there has been this parallel subplot that's been running just a little bit behind the scene. That's been happening, but then there's this subplot that follows Peter. And I think Peter is one of the most fascinating characters anywhere in Scripture. Peter has no idea that this is the case, but he is the poster child for false piety, for vanity and pride, religiosity. He has no idea that he's that guy, okay? He's the guy who thinks he's absolutely not that guy, like I'm too cool for religion, but I totally love Jesus. He's that guy. But along the way, he's completely caught up in it, which makes him, um, well, actually a really important character for a bunch of Bible Belt folks, but we'll get to that part in just a little bit. Um, we're gonna now trace, go back and sort of trace that parallel sub, subplot that follows him. And so some of this will sound familiar if you've been with us along the way. Um, and the first sort of scene in that uh, play is uh, the Last Supper and uh, when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And we covered this uh, several weeks ago, so I'll just remind you quickly of what happened uh, Jesus, in order to demonstrate his love and servanthood to his disciples, knelt, but he, their king, knelt before them and washed their feet as an act of servanthood. And he washed a few of the disciples' feet, and then he got to old Peter, and Peter said, no, no, I'm not having any of it. He said, not I. Maybe these other people, maybe these other people would let their king kneel before them and wash their feet, but not I, for thou art too holy, and I am too lowly, or whatever, sort of sanctimonious nonsense, he dribble came out of his mouth and Jesus pushed back pretty hard and he goes, all right, well, that means you can have no part with me. And he goes, oh, oh, so this is about being in. Well, in that case, maybe these other people would settle for just having their feet washed, but not me. Wash my head and my hands and my feet, just baptize me all over again. And Peter's like, and Jesus is like, no, Peter, grief again. Okay, you're missing the point. But what's obviously going on, I mean, it's not even in the subtext, it's just right there. There's this implication that Peter really thinks he's the real zealot in the room. You know, like he, he's the guy who, he's the, he's the deeply true and loyal. He's the fiercely devoted. And the other ones, they're sort of a, a step below where he's at. Now, um, a bit later, same dinner party, Jesus explains to his disciples that he's about to go away. And this is Peter's response. I'll read it to you. This is from John chapter 13, 36 to 38. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord, he asked. 
I am ready to die for you. So he lowered his voice like that, and in his mind, he heard really dramatic music playing. It was just for him, but he heard it. I am ready to die for you, Lord. And Jesus answered, and this is actually sad. He goes, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And we know from the other accounts, it's not here in John, but it's in the synoptics, that Peter pushes back hard against this. He goes, no way. And then he, then he says this, and this is a really, this is a jerk move, honestly. He's not hiding it at all. He goes, maybe these other people will do that. Maybe they will deny you, but I, I will never deny you. All right, and then comes uh, Jesus' arrest, and uh, in the garden, Judas approaches him. He's betrayed with a kiss, and it becomes apparent now that he is about to be arrested. And we spent some time with this story. Actually, Josh and Sharon both came out of this text, so we can just recap it uh, even more quickly. Um, and you just may recall that um, when this happened, and it was apparent that Jesus was going to be arrested, this was Peter's moment. And Peter sprung into action, you know, and he pulled his sword and chopped off a dude's ear. I mean, he just went full speed ahead. It's like him against a whole battalion or whatever of Roman soldiers, and off we go. Because um, he wanted to be the hero. It's reminded me of um, something that happened a few years ago at the McCarter house. There was a rumor about some break-ins in the area, and so Sharon asked me to put an alarm on the front door, and I reluctantly put an alarm on the front door. Well, that very night... In the middle of the, I mean, middle of the night, like 3 a.m., we're in another world, deep sleep. We hear, sure enough, a crash at the front door, and the alarm goes off. And Sharon and I both just spring. I mean, we just leap to our feet, out of it, but like charged, and off we go, sprinting to the master bedroom door. We're on our way out. We arrive at the door at the same time. I shoved Sharon pretty hard out of the way, which I know is a terrible thing to do, but it seemed to me that I should run into danger before she did, and there wasn't time to negotiate, so I just shoved her out of the way. And it was a cold night, and I was wearing socks, and it was a hardwood floor, and just as I planted my feet to turn around and go down the hallway, my feet went flying out from under me, as if it was a cartoon and I had stepped on a banana peel. I slammed so hard against right on my back, hard, and I cringed and I opened my eyes just in time to see Sharon hurtling over me, <laughs> running into danger. And I got up and chased her down and she goes to the entryway and she stops there at the entryway and she got there before me, but she stopped there and then I came just after and ran ahead of her. We were just like John and Peter at the tomb, okay? <laughs> just like that. And I got in, I ran ahead, and I realized that the alarm that I had poorly installed had fallen off. That was the crash that we heard, and that is what triggered the alarm. Let's not focus on that part of the story. Next part of the story, I kid you not, I would not lie, three minutes later, Sharon is laying in bed next to me, sound asleep. She's gone, rim cycle, deep, deep, and I'm laying next to her, just trembling, <laughs> my eyes bugging out. I got adrenaline coursing through my veins. And I remember thinking this, and it was bad. As soon as I thought it, I knew it was bad, but I kept thinking it. There was a part of me, a small part of me, that was disappointed that there wasn't anybody there at the door. Because, well, a couple reasons. Number one, and I, maybe you can relate to this, maybe you can't. I haven't punched anybody in the face since I was nine years old, and I'm curious. 
I'm really curious. I want to know. So that's one thing. And there's the other thing. There's a real part of me that just wants to wail on a bad guy. All right? I want to wail on a bad guy, take him out, stand over him with my cape flapping in the wind and my wife watching adoringly and my kids standing there safe and thankful. And then when the boys in blue get there, I'll explain to him in excruciating detail exactly how I did it. That's what I envisioned. That is not what happened. Instead, it, was, it wasn't good. But that was my moment. So I want to be a daggum hero. And that was Peter's moment. This was Peter's moment. He pulls the sword out, whoosh, makes that satisfying sound that a sword makes when you pull it out of your sheath. And as he charges Malchus, he notices, you know, like the moonlight gleaming in his sword just right. And the music starts playing in his head once again. He chops off the guy's ear and Jesus is like, what are you doing? Heals the guy. And then what's happening in that moment for Peter is he just, he's on, he's going. Like what set him off? And here's the thing, he's proven everybody wrong. Jesus said, I wasn't willing to die. I'm proving Jesus wrong. By the way, if your plan is ever to prove Jesus is wrong, you might want to rethink it. But I'm proving Jesus wrong. I am willing to die for him. I'm proving it to my friends who are watching it. I'm proving it to myself. I will charge ahead. I am willing to die for Jesus, just like I said. He thought he was proving that he was willing to die for Jesus, but that was not what was happening at all. Here's the thing, and stay with me. Our boy Peter, he was willing to go down, but only if he could go down in a blaze of glory. He was willing to die, but only if he could die as a hero. He'd be John Wayne if he needed to be. He'd be one of the Knights of the Round Table or some other superstar who died for a cause. He'll, he'll take his Medal of Honor posthumously if that's what the deal is. That's fine. And the reason why he was willing to die for that is because he was on a mission to justify himself, to prove himself, to demonstrate that he was not an imposter, which of course he was. Listen to me. He was willing to die, but only for his own pride. And in that garden, he realized to his absolute horror that Jesus was going quietly, peacefully, like a lamb led to the slaughter. He realized Jesus wasn't going to go down in a blaze of glory. He was going to die in shame, alone, mocked, and disgraced with dried Roman spit on his face. And our boy Peter wanted nothing to do with any of that. I want to stop here for a second and make a simple statement that I think is relevant at this point. A statement to our Bible Belt crowd, which clearly includes me, by the way. Total church kid, and I'm from right here. Um, uh, this is the South, and I love the South. We've got a church on every corner, and I really like that too. But here's the reality. If you face any kind of persecution for obeying Jesus around here, you are much more likely to be labeled a hero than a fool. That's a fact. And it's been that way for a long time. 
And I don't know this, but I honestly think there's a real shift at hand with that. I don't, I don't know if it's here already or if it's still a ways out, but the fact is we are fast approaching a time when good old-fashioned biblical values will get you in a lot of trouble. And you'll be labeled ignorant or regressive, and you won't be lionized for it. You'll, you'll probably get canceled and maybe lose some friends or lose your job or maybe worse. And that is an altogether different kind of test than most of us have ever seen here in the Bible Belt. You know, it's really hard not to think like a front runner when you have been in the overwhelming majority your entire life. And those, that, those winds might be shifting. And suffering for Jesus will not always get you hero status. Sometimes it will get you open ridicule. Sometimes you'll be mocked or whatever else. And Peter's story has, I think, a real challenge for us. Because it was in that moment when the winds shifted that he realized that he was not at all who he thought he was. And that's the part we'll read next. Let's see now how Peter responded when being a hero was not on the table at all. I'm going to read you from Matthew's account. Uh, it's there in John as well. There's just a couple more details here. So Matthew chapter 26, 69 to 75. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, you, you were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean, but Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately, the rooster crowed. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away, weeping bitterly, because he just realized that he is not at all who he thought he was. And then, as you know, the trial, the crucifixion, as we celebrated last week, the resurrection. And as we also saw last week, uh, Jesus appeared repeatedly to his disciples after the resurrection. And one of those times, he sits down for breakfast with the fellas, and then he pulls Peter aside for a pretty intense little heart-to-heart, -heart. and that takes us now to the middle of John chapter 21 and the end of this letter, uh, 15 to 17. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you still love me more than these? <laughs> do you love me more than these? which is a, ooh, this is sort of an intense moment where he goes, hey, we all know what's happened over the past few days. You still holding on to that thing where you're just so far above all the other guys? Where you're not just one of the fellows, but you're something else altogether? You're still holding on to that. And then Peter 
I think very wisely, ignores that part of Jesus' question and just answers the part about whether or not he loves him. Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, and feed my sheep. All right, so there's a whole lot going on here, uh, a whole lot more than we're going to get into. Um, there's some really cool stuff going on with the Greek. If you're a church kid, maybe you've already heard that sermon. We're not doing that one, but it's some pretty cool stuff. Some other people have pointed out that there's like this really interesting parallel between three opportunities for Jesus to confess his love, or for Peter to confess his love to Jesus, paralleling the three times that he denied Jesus. And I think that's part of what's going on here too. And I think that's really beautiful. But what I just want to point out is what was like really, really like hit you over the head, obvious message that we just can't miss, which is Jesus was telling Peter, loving me means serving the sheep. Loving me means caring for my church. He's just saying in the simplest way he knows how. Just dead simple. People who love Jesus take care of one another. Period. That's what they do. People who love Jesus take care of one another. And then these next two verses often get overlooked, but they're really important, especially for Peter. They complete the story, and they really set up Peter for the rest of his life. So look at these next two, 18 and 19. Still Jesus speaking. I tell you the truth. Stay with me. Listen to what he's saying. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. This is very full circle, all right? This, those are the same two words that started the whole thing with Peter, follow me. And he puts a bow on it here, follow me. And by that, he meant, follow me, even Peter, into the kind of death that I died. Because, he's very clear about this, just so you know, man, you will not be going down in a blaze of glory. You will not be choosing how you die. And there will be no heroic soundtrack playing when you do. And Jesus could not have been any clearer about what that means. If you want to follow me, Peter, it's about feeding sheep. If you want to follow me, it's about being a servant in life, in death. It's not anything glamorous or celebrated. Your cape won't be flapping in the wind. You wanted to be a hero, Peter, so here's your chance. From now on, you're going to be a humble 
servant in life and in death. Let's think about this for a couple more minutes, but David, you can come on up, man. I'm going to say something obvious, something you already know, which is this. Um, this world is in a frantic race to the top, right? Just stepping on people and shoving people, doing all they can to get to the top at all costs. Trouble is, there's not a lot of room up there, and there's a lot of competition to get there. Got to get to the top. But, and hear me on this, please. The rest of the world is in a race to the top. You should know that going the way of Jesus is a race to the bottom. It is a race to the bottom. Jesus, I can't believe he said this. This is just so direct. He said, if anybody wants to really win in this life, if you want to be like an actual hero, here's the deal. I can't believe he said it. You must be last of all, servant of all. That's really clear. Last of all, servant of all. It's a race to the bottom. The thing is, there's always plenty of room at the bottom. (laughs) A lot less competition. No doorkeepers to turn you away. No qualifications that you have to meet. The fact is, anybody, anywhere, can be last of all, servant of all. And it couldn't be any more obvious, guys. That's exactly, though he was king, it's exactly what Jesus did. And he makes it really clear to Peter that's what it means to follow him. And nothing less. Nothing less. It is not celebrated. It is not glamorous. But it is beautiful and it is worship and it is powerful and it storms the gates of hell. The thing is, a lot of people, they hear this, part of it, and they decide that that's just not a great deal. And the thing is, they're wrong. And I know a bunch of examples. I bet you know at least some as well. Because here's the thing. Some people actually go out and do it. And they live their life like that. And they're the ones who figure out that all of these beautiful, far-reaching promises of Jesus about having an abundant life and life that's lived to the full. They're the ones that figure out you actually only get that by being last of all and servant of all. They win the race to the bottom and they win. So we're going to have Selah as we do every week, a couple minutes to reflect on our own, and I would like to encourage you to reflect on just a couple of simple ideas. First, would you be willing to accept Jesus' invitation to be an absolute full-on hero while accepting that perhaps his definition might be a little bit different than that of our culture? His invitation that he extended to Peter was to feed his sheep. People who love Jesus take care of one another.
And that's what heroism is. I wonder if you would consider that invitation and consider honestly whether or not you're willing to accept that invitation. Shift directions. No more the race to the top. Now the race to the bottom to be the last of all and servant of all. And not many do, but the ones who do, they find they find everything that's beautiful about life. They just do. And the other thing I want you to consider, it's one of those things that maybe we just can't know. Like Peter, we can't really know until things get really, really real. The question is whether or not we're willing to go against the grain. And one of the great things about living where we live is that following Jesus isn't exactly going against the grain in many cases. But that's changing. And when going the way of Jesus is pushing against the winds of society, are you going to be willing to stay the course? I guess we don't really know till we're there. Maybe we could ask the Lord to begin to form us and shape us into that very thing. Let's take a moment or two to reflect on these things. I'll get us started in that prayer. Jesus, we welcome your presence. Come to us now. I pray that we would not only be accepting of your invitation to a life of servanthood, but that we would be captivated by it now. That you would push away the fog and help us to see you with clarity the joy that it is to be last of all and servant of all. And that from that, Lord, we would be eager to obey you in full. Have our lives poured out on behalf of our brothers and sisters. Our lives given away. And Father, we also want to take pause and consider whether or not we are prepared that if going with you means going away from the prevailing culture to a large degree it already does to a greater degree it will become increasingly true God make us strong speak to us Lord
Father, may we be wise enough, Lord, to accept your invitation to real heroism, which means not being fitted for a cape, but it means a towel and some water, kneeling before our friends we love and caring for them, washing their feet, humbling ourselves, giving ourselves away. There is no clearer way to be like you. Make us those people, Lord. Amen.